Welcome to DealCast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a business journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. In this episode, we're looking at ECM in the Europe, Middle East and Africa region in 2022 and looking at what 2023 holds. I'm joined by Samuel Kerr, Senior ECM Editor for EMEA. Hi, Sam. Thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So to begin with, can we look back at the previous year? How would you sum up equity capital markets in 2022? <laughs> Badly. <laughs> uh, they, 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 they were, I think, a year of famine was probably the best way to sort of think about it. Uh, we, we published a uh, sort of fourth quarter highlights, um, sort of odd word for it, really, uh, which sort of went into our full uh, full year findings as well. And I mean, looking at sort of our geologic data. Uh, we uh, saw uh, only 582 billion of global equity capital markets deal value um, uh, as, of, as of sort of mid-December, which is when we ran the numbers. And uh, that was well below even just the second half of 2021 alone. Um, I think the term we used for it was uh, anis horribilis to sort of uh, steal liberally from uh, from the late Queen Elizabeth. But uh, it, it really was an appallingly bad year for, for, for equity capital markets, um, which, which has led, as, as people will know, in, in the first month of, of 2023 to, to layoffs across banks and such. So so I think the market was really rocked by what was a, a, a very difficult reset year, I think, after a 10-year bull market that uh, people thought perhaps would never end. And what would you say was the most important thing that influenced that year of low issuance? So I think... People will probably expect me to say the war in Ukraine, and the war in Ukraine obviously was something that was uh, very important for that uh, low issuance. And you know, we did have a, a fairly uh, sort of heavy, well, not 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 heavy, but sort of a, a, a packed-ish pipeline of deals for for for, for Easter, and uh, which is a traditional European IPO window. But outside of Ukraine, I think the most important thing was actually the Fed. Uh, so what we saw at the uh, throughout last year was the end of our sort of decade-long bull market that, that, that came out after the global financial crisis a decade more really if you think actually started in 2009 which uh, was that sort of 10 plus years of next to zero interest rates which made equities perhaps the hottest game in town as far as investments were concerned because you couldn't get any yields in the bond market or anything else so, so people really did chase IPOs in order to try and get that alpha and to sort of outperform uh, the rest of their peer set and a rising tide raises all boats, and that was incredibly useful for for new uh, new equity issuance globally. Really, uh, not not just in 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 Europe. I mean, particularly in the United States as well, where we saw some some, some huge transactions. Um, but uh, that ended <laughs> with a pretty sharp sharp stop last year when the Fed started raising rates quickly, followed by the uh, the the Bank of England and the ECB. And we are now living in a, in, in a, a new new normal, uh, as it were. To, and uh, equity capital markets have uh, had to had to adjust to that. Yeah, although there were one or two bright spots. We spoke last year about the the Porsche IPO. Porsche probably was the uh, was the brightest spot for Europe, uh, and I have to say, Porsche wouldn't have happened if it wasn't. <laughs> 
Porsche. Uh, it was a very interesting transaction, actually, because it, it happened extraordinarily quickly for, for a European deal. Uh, we sort of heard rumors of it at the beginning of 2022 uh, that the sort of the syndicate was being approached to be put in place. And not only did they manage to appoint some deal advisors, do all their pre-deal meetings with investors, they got the deal done in, in, in early autumn, uh, which, which is a very fast turnaround for, for, for the European IPO market. But I think the thing with Porsche was it was just this stellar, superb name that people definitely Desperately, you know, wanted to, to hear about, and you know, the financials were very, very solid. It had a strong uh, ESG component as well, with an electric vehicle angle as well, with a lot of the IPO proceeds being used to, to uh, forward Porsche's work in that space. And it, it also was quite a pragmatic issuer. I mean, originally when when Porsche came to market, people were talking about it listing at a sort of Ferrari multiple, which uh, is always the sort of the ideal for any automotive or luxury automotive IPO candidate. Um, but it took a significant discount to Ferrari when it, when it priced. And, and I think that approach and that sort of conservatism uh, actually really did help the deal across the line. It was also able to get some very big name investors into the book, as we spoke about before, uh, early on, which sort of spurred on the rest of the, uh, the market to, to, to sort of have a look at the deal and, and to place large orders themselves. And, and, and that sort of was, was probably the brightest spot of the market for, 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 for Europe. Um, it was the deal of the year, really, if you're looking at it from a European sense, um, and was one of the largest global deals of, of the year. Um, but unfortunately, there's not that many others <laughs> that can replicate that success. I mean, there's not, yeah, there's not that many Porsches. No. And so that was 2022. We're now well into 2023. We're midway through February. How has this year started? So it's been a really interesting start to the year, actually. Um, so equity market started on, a, on, a, on an absolute sort of tear, really. Uh, the European stock exchanges were posting high double, high single digit gains, uh, you know, towards the middle of January. Uh, the European, ind- sorry, the US indices have also posted fantastic, fantastic gains over the last, over the first few uh, weeks of this year. Um, and, and what we've seen in ECM has been a little bit more muted, unfortunately. Uh, so we expected a load of block trades to come out the gates as people took advantage of, uh, sort of long only investors being willing to go back to work again at the beginning of the year. And I think the fact that we had such a great start to the year meant people sort of sat on the sidelines a bit and thought, oh, my stock price might go up a little bit more. Let's let, let me wait until we can uh, sort of see if we can get a better price for it. But that activity actually has started to sort of come back now. We're, we're out of a corporate blackout season, which is which is always something that stops uh, most block trades because insiders are prevented from doing any stock trading around uh, corporate results. Um, and we've start, we've seen some IPOs, which is amazing. So we actually had the first uh, two IPOs of, of 2023 closing this week. Uh, Ionos, the uh, German web hosting firm, which is being sold by United Internet, is uh, closing today, February the 7th. Uh, uh, the price has been set. It's, it's pricing at the bottom of its initial price range uh, with a very, very big valuation cut from initial expectations. Again, a, a bit like we said with Porsche last year, perhaps even more so. And uh, we have one more IPO uh, set to price this week as well, which is a company called Eurogroup uh, Laminations in Italy. And uh, that's going to be also pricing this week. So if we can get through the end of the week with uh, two IPOs priced and fingers crossed trading up, then people might be a little bit more optimistic about uh, the year. And obviously those haven't launched fully yet, but how, what's been the response or the appetite that you're hearing from investors about those two IPOs, Ionos and Eurogroup? 
So Ionos originally came out looking, well, uh, there was press speculation uh, that Ionos was looking for about a 5 billion euro equity valuation uh, when it, when it, when it uh, came, came to IPO. A lot of that work was based off uh, being directly comparable to a very large US peer, GoDaddy, uh, which is the large, one of the larger US web hosting uh, companies. Uh, Ionos wanted a very similar uh, revenue to uh, EVE, but Dar multiple, to, to, to GoDaddy. And, and when its debt was uh, taken into account, that worked out at about 5 billion euros. Um, what has happened uh, in conversation with investors and, and actually something that we wrote about a few weeks ago uh, and uh, just before the IPO was launched was investors weren't willing to uh, to, 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 to play that game and to, to, to deal with Ionos on those those valuation terms. Uh, people are still very sceptical about uh, technology IPOs, uh, particularly anything that paints, uh, paints its story on, on, on growth rather than uh, revenues that, that, that are being realized already. Uh, I think um, the days of pre-revenue tech IPOs being uh, be, be, being a hugely popular it, it, are over. Uh, Ionos actually has decent financials, but uh, it, it certainly isn't uh, at the case where it's where it's where it's anywhere close to GoDaddy, which earns about three times the revenue that it does. Uh, and what investors wanted was a significant discount at that level, and, and uh, they they hit back very early in those investor meetings with that feedback and the company had to listen uh, and it not only had to narrow uh, its expectations when it launched the deal with a with an IPO range which was well under that 5 billion level but the final price works out at around 2.59 billion euros so just over half really of what they originally were said to have wanted uh, and that I think is a uh, is a big marker to be honest. And if you're an IPO issuer, you're going to be looking at that thinking, hmm, do I want to sell my my company at these levels if I have to take that sort of a discount? Or perhaps it's just a, a reset uh, and a new reality that everyone needs to pay attention to. Eurogroup um, is coming slightly off the bottom of its range around the midway point from its initial price range, uh, which is which is a positive for the company. And it does have a bit of an ESG angle as well, uh, given that uh, a lot of the products it produces is for, for electric vehicles. Uh, but again, Again, it's, it's come under the, uh, the the original valuation expectations. We reported that the company was looking for well over a billion euros market cap um, from when it IPO'd, and, and it is going to come under that. So uh, that's something I think again for everyone to consider. Valuations are being you know, very stretched by, by by the investor base, and I think they are being put under pressure significantly by some strong investor feedback and people really doing their work on these deals and, and, and making sure that they're not buying into companies that are overvalued because people are still sitting on very big losses from the IPO class of 2021 in Europe, and um, they're not going to forget it. Great. And looking outside of IPOs, what are things like across other ECM deal types? You mentioned block trades earlier, for example. Yeah, so block trades are coming back a little bit now. We've seen some interesting names. Uh, we, we we saw a, a recent trade in uh, SCB, the, uh, the the Swedish bank, which which uh, was a pretty large deal actually, a, a sell down there for uh, in that name. And I think bank stocks is certainly something that people are going to be looking at uh, possibly uh, selling down a little bit of now, given that banks are sort of favoured uh, in the current environment with uh, rising interest rates and uh, and. Uh, sort of more cyclical stop as stops than uh, sort of the tech stocks of the past. So, so people are moving back into things like banking exposure now. And um, we think there's going to be some actually very big sell downs this year. We reported in our uh, weekly column, the ECM Pulse, uh, last week that uh, there are some big situations that people are talking about already. Uh, one is Halion, the uh, former GSK consumer asset, which was spun off from GSK last year. We're also expecting possible sell downs uh, in the banking sector. For example, NatWest, uh, the UK government has had a long 
uh, desired wish to privatize more of NatWest, and we sort of sources expect that to continue at some point, possibly this year. Uh, there is also uh, EQT, uh, the Swedish private equity firm, uh, which uh, was IPO'd by the partners a few years ago. Like all private equity firms, it's in need of capital. So uh, we, we've certainly heard that people are expecting possibly another sell down there as well. So we have some very, very big names that, that could come and some very large uh, trading situations. And uh, we've also seen a bit of an uptick in the convertible bond market, which is which is something that we saw a little bit at the end of last year that's continued through to um, uh, 2023. And perhaps one of the most interesting deals I've seen in some time was a deal last week for, 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 for Rheinmetall, the German arms manufacturer. And what was so interesting about it was originally, if you had uh, said, yeah, this deal was going to come. A lot of people wouldn't have bought it on ESG criteria because, you know, it's, a, you know, arms manufacturing and everything else is not normally something that fits very well into an ESG portfolio. But there was a very large debate, uh, which uh, my colleague Cristiano Della Bona reported on, uh, with investors, uh, who, who actually thought the opposite because it was, uh, funding the war in Ukraine. So is there, is there such thing as just war within the, uh, financial markets? Uh, I think that's certainly a very interesting, probably philosophical topic, but, uh, it shows that there are very much gray areas now in the, uh, invest in uh, in the ESG investing and uh, convertible bonds is, a, is, is, is obviously a great place to show that. So finally, looking at the Middle East, it was one of the few bright spots for ECM last year. Will that continue during 2023 or, or was it a one-off? We think it will continue. Uh, there's lots of uh, possible still uh, state sell downs that could happen throughout the region. Uh, and we reported uh, earlier uh, this year that uh, in Saudi Arabia in particular, there's a lot of private companies that want to come to market. Um, obviously, the oil price isn't as high as it was. So there isn't that great secular driver that there was last year with, with obviously a huge amount of um, uh, advantage to, to investing in that region. But the Middle East is still expected to be incredibly hot. Uh, the massive uptick in deal flow that we saw uh, the uh, throughout last year is, I think, a, a norm now that is going to continue. And uh, in the case of Saudi Arabia, for example, uh, it's now the second largest stock exchange after Euronext in the whole EMEA region, surpassing the London Stock Exchange, which is an incredible stat, really, if you think about it and think about where the exchange was just a few years ago. I mean, I remember when uh, Saudi Aramco listed in 2019, it was thought of almost as a backwater. And, and now it's not at all. I mean, people are flying out there left, right and center to to, to talk to companies, uh, investors are desperate to desperate to get involved with Saudi deals. The performance has been very high, and I think that's continuing across the region. Uh, we have uh, reported in the past that Amman might be uh, coming soon to the party with some uh, IPOs there as well. Uh, so I expect a lot more activity in the Middle East this year, and not just IPOs. Uh, as has often the case in Europe, when you have a very large IPO year, you then expect secondary sell downs. And uh, we are hearing that that is going to be the strategy in, from a lot of the Middle Eastern sellers as well and a lot of the state sellers that they will continue to sell down some of their stakes in the, these companies uh, through the equity capital markets. Um, there was a very interesting trade at the end of last year in uh, Saudi Tadawal itself uh, by PIF. Uh, PIF IPO'd uh, the Tadawal in uh, 2021 and then did a sell down in 2022. Uh, we reported earlier this year that this year that that process is likely to continue. And I think uh, if you look at the more sort of thematic trend of, of these countries diversifying away from their natural uh, gas and oil resources, uh, that you're going to see a little bit more of that, that, that you know, these big state sovereign wealth funds will use equity capital markets to sell down stakes in some companies and then to invest in others to 
rebalance i think the country's wealth away from just uh, just energy into high growth uh, sectors like technology and and even renewables which we're seeing a little bit more now that now in the middle east um, the largest deal that we could expect sort of in the near term is likely to be a Ramco trading company. So again, that will be a, a sell down by Saudi Aramco of its trading division. Uh, and, uh, we can also see a very large potential IPO in, in the UAE of Emirates Global Aluminium, which is going to be a large deal as well. I think the sort of white whale of the region is still a, a, an IPO, uh, for this sort of futuristic city that the, the uh, Saudis are building in the desert, Neom. And, uh, we're hearing still that there could be one of the largest deals, uh, in Saudi since Aramco around that, uh, around that name. Uh, and if that happens, that would be extraordinary because I mean, the project itself is extraordinary. So I, I think it's one of the highest growth regions in Amir and I expect therefore actually capital markets, uh, activity to still be very hot there. Excuse the pun. <laughs> and I, uh, I've seen it advertised quite a lot in the FT. Uh, surely you can get a, a work trip out there to go and uh, to go and investigate it as a as an ECM journalist. <laughs> I think uh, Dubai would be a lot of fun, uh, yeah, I, I, and maybe Saudi as well. I've never been to Saudi. I've never had great strong means to go to Saudi quite yet, but I think uh, <laughs> it might be something that'd be fun to do, and certainly something that we should be uh, exploring more on the ground. Uh, certainly, everyone I go there say it's worth talking to. Great. All right, Sam. Thanks very much. That was Samuel Kerr, senior ECM editor for EMEA. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Dealcast, presented by Merger Market and SS and C Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market News Alert. For more information, have a look at our show notes. Join us next week for another episode.